0: Hey everyone, it's Alex here. I hope everyone's having a great week. I figured before this episode actually starts, I should put out a little bit of a disclaimer. Uh, Usually Chase Chase and I don't uh, swear too much on the podcast. There's the odd F-bomb maybe here or there, but uh, today got pretty heated, as you might imagine, with a Game 7 right around the corner for Chase's favorite team. Uh, Things were a little more tense than usual, and uh, there's definitely a lot more... uh, um, explicit language. So I figured because, you know, we don't usually mark our, our, podcast as explicit. I figured I would give a warning at the start. Um, anyways, I hope you all enjoy and thank you everyone for listening. <music> Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I am your host, Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host, Chase McCallum. And today we have uh, the second round preview for you. Uh, unfortunately, NHL scheduling is bad, and they make it hard to do this as a podcast. But shockingly, they don't care about podcasts, and they shockingly don't care about one as small as ours. So we will deal with it. Um, there's obviously one series that is still going on, and we will be talking about that. Uh, We're gonna try and get this out. We're recording Sunday afternoon. I am gonna try and get it out Sunday afternoon slash late evening sometime, um, just so it's really relevant or as relevant as it possibly can be. Um, A couple of the series have started. Well, I guess one, only one. Boston and New York has started at this time. So, um, you know what we what we'll do is we'll go through like we usually do and um, look at the first round matchups. Did they go how we planned? You know what happened in them, Uh, and then we'll move forward and preview the second round as well. So, um, with that being said. Uh, let's hop into, I guess the, the only, the series that has started at the time of recording chase, um, it is Boston and the Islanders. Let's start with the Islanders and penguins. Um, that was an interesting series. It's, I, I I feel like the Islanders fans kind of feel like they're trying to play the underdog role a little too hard. The whole, nobody believes in us card. Um, Tristan Jari ruined that series for the Pittsburgh penguins and it wasn't even close. Um, every player and coach knew that all their comments were basically uh, yeah we deserved better but couldn't say why they didn't get better um goaltending really let one team down and really saved another one here and that was the massive difference in six games in that
1: series 100% that's the worst part of, like the nobody believes in us like if your team wins a series you should be happy. you should can and should and everyone is happy as hell literally no matter how that happened but like you can't also watch your team get out skated out of the building and only win because Jari sucked. And then be like, well, (laughs) you guys didn't believe in us. It's like, that's the, the Jari thing happening is exactly why the probabilities are so aggressive. Like the Islanders still win that series one third of the time, in spite of the fact that the Penguins are a better team.
0: Yeah. And it's just like, it's the classic, like, I don't know if it's just, I, I feels like maybe I think it's just because I follow so many people on hockey Twitter that I feel like I'm biased towards hockey, but the amount of people who just don't understand basic probabilities here compared to, like, every other sport, it, it's just insane. Like, there's so many Islanders fans that, are like, like Dom Lashishan's model had a 35% chance they win the series, right? Well, they win the series. That doesn't mean the model is wrong. That means the one in three chance that he gave them had a winning hit, And people come around like, yeah, your stupid model is wrong about this team. It's like, no, what part of 35% do you think is zero? And it's like, in that 35%, Tristan Jari, who's been a completely unreliable goalie all year, where he's looked really, really good at some stretches and really horrible at other stretches, just shits the bed for four games, and that's how you win it. And that's exactly what happened. Like, coming into the series, if I told you... You know, now maybe we would have thought it was Varlamov, not Sorokin. But if I would have told you one of the Islanders goaltenders played unreal for about a four or five stretch of games and the Penguins goalie absolutely sucked for three to four games and the Islanders won in six, you would have been like, yeah, that sounds reasonably expectable. You know, like that doesn't sound like a surprising thing at all. Better yet, if you
1: just told me the Islanders won and then told me to construct a story as to why that would specifically be how the story goes
0: yeah exactly like it's just it's one of those things where i I don't know i I feel like they're trying a little too hard to to play the underdog narrative or whatever when it's just like there's nothing wrong with um you know obviously long-term success you want to win series that you're you know outplaying the people but in terms of just a one game thing like there's absolutely nothing wrong with um you know getting the win however you can or your one series thing right like no one in um no one in the as an Islanders fan is complaining about being in the second round it doesn't matter how you got there
1: yeah it's fun you can see your team in the second round it sounds like an awesome experience that I've heard about
0: <laughs> yeah um we'll, we'll get to that for sure there's still one more game don't don't lose hope just yet uh, um even though I may have I I think I've lost hope on the team but we'll, we'll get to that uh yeah let's go to the other side of this now uh you know, oh, let's look for Pittsburgh real quick so like The biggest thing for Pittsburgh here is where do you go from here now? Um, This was, it's not, I don't think it's their last kick of the can necessarily, but it definitely felt like their last, like maybe really, really good chance to have a kick at the can. It was a team that was really hot coming into, you know, coming in. Crosby looked great. Obviously Malcolm was hurt. Unfortunately, their defense core actually wasn't, you know, like their defense. This has probably been one of the best defense cores they've had in six years or so, which speaks more to just, probably how bad the defense score has been for about six years or so now, but like, it was just solid. Like they didn't, uh, they didn't have Chris, uh, Pete, Chris Letang, but they'd Letang, Dumoulin, like uh, even Cody CC was like an uh, fine number five guy. Like they just kind of had guys to fill the bodies appropriately up and down the lineup. And, and that was kind of the same with the depth. And now you kind of got to wonder where they go from here with another year of aging Sid, aging Letang, aging Malkin. Um, you know, if you can get the Sid we've seen still for the past four years, you take another shot at it. That's what you have to do. But, um, you know, it, they have some interesting roster decisions for this year. That's for sure.
1: Yeah, they really do. I think they're basically just going to keep trying to run it back and there's going to come a point where Sid's not Sid anymore. But until then, I feel like you just keep assuming that he is and then try to win now.
0: Yeah. The biggest question I have is what do they doing net? Um, yeah. You know, like, do you run it back with, do you run it back with Jari or like, do you go maybe like Jari's got three or two more years at 3.5 left. Casey DeSmith's got one year at 1.25. Like maybe you try and flip one of those guys and sign a a cheap-ish free agent, but like, is that going to be any better? Like, I'm just trying to look at all the uh, UFA goaltenders right now. And the thing with this Pittsburgh team is obviously they are very um, close to the cap, right? Like,
1: that's... Ideally, you get like a Halak level backup for Jari, but that's not, it's possible, but they would have to move some stuff around to do it.
0: Yeah, like they are so close to the cap. And again, like that's just natural for a team that is going for it, like for a decade and a half, basically now. Um, yeah. But like they're just, they have currently 245 they're at 245 K in cap space and they're over the cap because they're using LTIR right now. So it's like, and coming off the books this year, they have, they need, they're going to need to re-sign Frederick uh, Goudreau, who's not going to cost a lot, but if they want to keep him, he's going to probably get a slight raise off 700 K. They have, Zach Aston-Reese, who probably is going to want more than a one k and one mil that he's making, so you know maybe they have to move on from him. Colton Steve is off the books at one point two. You can probably replace him. CC's off the books at one point two five. You can replace him. Replace. Um, but then you have you know your buyout of Jack Johnson still going to be costing you one point six next year and one point nine the year after that. Um, and you've retained you know you're done with the Nick two mil from Nick said's retained salary comes off the books at least so. <laughs> excuse me there's you know an area where it's like you can go find a guy but again you need to get lucky with like like the perfect name that I keep thinking of from last year would be the Cam Talbot that I think a bunch of guys should be going after but obviously he's not a UFA this year and you have to look and go okay well who is going to be that UFA this year Halak's a UFA this year but I would assume if Halak's re somewhere or signing somewhere he's going to want more than a 2.25 million dollars which he's been making over the past couple of years same idea with like anti-ranta maybe you could get him at like a three by three or something but are you gonna trust that he's gonna be healthy long enough right
1: yeah that's a tough call because that's that's a high upside choice which maybe is the kind of thing you're seeking if you're Pittsburgh though
0: I think you have gotta have to kind of swing at a high upside right like low floor doesn't do much for this team other than like give them a chance to win a round but like they need to be swinging so that they're a legitimate cup contender for the next year or two here while they still can be.
1: Yeah. Cause there was a time where the penguins could go through some adversity and still be like a legitimate cup favorite, but they're at the point now where like literally everything needs to go right for them. Like they need the absolute tail outcome, like the highest variance outcome for them. And I, I like a rant idea. Like you got, you got to be risk seeking at this point because you need so much to go right and you can't control if it does go right, but you might just put pieces in place that at least have the potential to get Sid one last cup.
0: Yeah, exactly, like do, do a, everything you can, and you know, it's gotta be within reason, obviously, like we, we're, like this is probably one of the only times we kinda would advocate to just do it, like go get guys, like it doesn't matter, but those guys can't be like Jack Johnson and, and stuff like that, you know, like it's gotta be actual useful high upside NHL players, not just bad low floor kinda guys.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. Because the problem when some teams make these moves too early, like your Panarin signings, kind of thing. But like the Pendler are at the point where, if this sucks in years six, seven, and eight, or whatever, but they can get like a guy who helps to win now, they should be doing that.
0: Yeah, one hundred percent. Let's go to the other series. Then uh, you get the Washington Capitals and Boston, Boston Bruins. Uh, Bruins took care of them in five. Your prediction was really accurate here. Um, you you said you could just see. Um, the Bruins getting on a roll and running away with it. And that's exactly what happened four in a row. Uh, the Capitals just couldn't keep up. The goaltending wasn't there. They played three different goalies, Craig Anderson, uh, Vanacek got injured in game one. So uh, Craig Anderson came in, played one and two, and then Samsonov came in for three, four and five. Uh, yeah. Like this was just kind of what you predicted. I thought you hit the nail on the head. I thought maybe it'd be a little bit closer, but the the Bruins just kind of ran them over and looked pretty good doing it. You know, like some of the games were, they, most of the games were close, but um, just generally speaking it you know at the end of the day when you saw it was 4-1 Bruins for the series you go yeah that's not the most shocking thing in the world.
1: Yeah exactly it's not like they looked like they were in a completely different league but like it was very clear that the Bruins are a much better built hockey.
0: Team. Yep and you know uh, we'll get into the series preview in a second as well but um, you know I, I think that should continue. The, this is I, I feel like I, I regret not doing it now. I don't know why I didn't. I. Maybe I just you know wasn't sure about how would, if the depth would keep clicking or whatever. You know, not sure about the blue line. I really would have wished I would have put some odds on Bruin Stanley Cups, uh, like to win the Stanley Cup at the beginning of the playoffs here, because it feels like they're one of the more sneaky teams that are just they are really, really strong. Like, yes, there's obviously Vegas, um, Colorado, Tampa, Carolina are all really good. Um, you know, you can throw Toronto in that mix if they make it out of round one, which is a hilarious asterisk to have, I think. But, um, you know, Boston, I, I would put Boston, like, closer to that group than I maybe did even two weeks ago, and they just, like, they look like they're ready to roll.
1: Yeah, I, I actually have, have futures on the uh, bros to win the Stanley Cup, and I feel very, very good about that right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a solid bet, because, you know, they, they just, they look solid. They, they ran over the series. Um, you know, we'll, we'll get into the New York Islanders and Boston real quick in a second. I, again, Washington's kind of in the same spot with Pittsburgh, except I feel even worse about their position. They have less cap space. I don't like their roster as much. Um, it sounds like they're going to get rid of Evgeny off. Like, that relationship is kind of soured, and I think that's a good thing for the team. If they can get even – like, I don't even think you need to get assets. You just can't give up assets to get rid of him, and I think that's a net win for the team, if I'm being completely honest.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I didn't realize the relationship that was that bad, but, like, so – I guess for the listeners, we have a friend who's a huge Caps fan and like, he's a really big hockey fan, but he's not like this big stats guy. So I use him as like a run of the mill example of just like hardcore hockey fan knows the pulse of his team, but not like a freak running regressions about his team, like some of us do. And he is just like, so excited for Kuznetsov to be gone. And I didn't realize it was at that point where like the hardcore fans were actually excited. Kuznetsov to be gone,
0: yeah. I think this year was really a tipping point where he was on the COVID list a couple times. He, I think, there was rumors that he gave half the team COVID the first time around, too, um, because he was out, you know, doing something he probably shouldn't have. Um, so it it's definitely seems like the point with, you know, they, I think they were kind of angry with Samsonov as well, but it's, it's easier to, you know, try to forgive and, um, you know, mend the relationship with your 24 year old goalie who's supposed to be the goalie of the future versus, um, you know uh your 28 year old who you're paying a ton of money 29 year old who you're paying a ton of money and just frankly isn't producing anymore like he had a good season underlying this year but um you know he only also produced 29 points in 41 games which um, again isn't horrible but you need a little more out of this like if you're washington you need a little more right so um i I think you know i I don't know he's one of those guys who he, he can shoot the puck well he's gonna put up some points usually. Um, But he can't do anything defensively, and that hurts his value quite a bit. So it'll be really interesting to see if there are teams that uh, um, take a swing at him or not. Like, uh, I don't know. Like, I was listening to Puck Soup, and um, Lambert had mentioned, like, maybe Columbus would be better with a Kuznetsov type. Um, you know, as funny as a fit that would be. Um, But, you know, and then there's rumors about Columbus and a couple of their star players going forward. So I don't really see a fit of trading for Kuznetsov because I think they're about to start another rebuild, unfortunately, but um, I don't know. I, I just, I, I don't know where you go from here because um I, I think that getting his salary off the books, even if you're losing, say like a mediocre slash below average, second line center is worth it because you need that $7.8 million to get some work here. And, Oh yeah alex ovechkin's up by the way you've got to figure out a new contract for him too yeah
1: apparently they've set aside like 11 or 12 million dollars for ovi
0: which like i love Ovi,
1: and he's at the point where you do whatever you want to keep him in dc even if it costs your team cup odds because he is at worst the second most iconic player of a generation he's only been with you but like from a team like a stanley cup odds perspective Giving Ovi more money than he's currently making at 36 is very minus EV. If,
0: uh, like, if you gave him $7 or million, $8 million on a one-year deal, I think that would be minus EV at this point for cup odds.
1: Yeah, oh, 100%. Because, like, um, he can still score goals like a freak, and, like, that's important. But, like, Alex Ovechkin is not, like, a top 30 player in the league anymore.
0: No. And, like... You know, he, again, he, his goal scoring is so good that he does still provide, like, positive goals above replacement, but he was a one-win-above-replacement player, you know, like, which just isn't good. Well, like, it's not It's not that it's not good. It's useful, obviously, but for $9 million, that is very, very bad.
1: Yeah, and for, for the, the OV type of player is a gift and a curse because like, obviously he's electric and no Cavs fans ever going to complain about him. But the problem with an Ovi is he provides that one war in the most expensive way possible.
0: Yeah. And he ranks 104th among all forwards this year for wins above replacement. um, You know, which again would put him just from a wins above replacement standpoint as technically a first line player, but like just barely a first line player. Right. Um, So it's one of those things where, like, they're in a tough position. I like, I, I hope he stays. I want to see him just keep scoring goals, but yeah, like if, if uh, the Capitals are planning on giving him a lot, of them, like even anything close to eight and a half or plus, like, I think that's going to be a disaster for their cup odds.
1: Yeah. It definitely hurts the teams like prospect going forward. But like, again, I guess he's at the point where you just say, fuck it. He's been so good to us that we're doing whatever it takes to keep him here instead of, I don't know if going under rush is like a real thing in his mind or if going somewhere else is a real thing in his mind, but I get, I get the idea of just doing whatever to keep him happy. It just sucks for the the team's cup odds.
0: Yeah. Like, and yeah, like the, the jealous part of me or the not jealous, the selfish part of me too, like wants to see him almost sign like a, a $5 million deal or something. Because if you trade Kuznetsov and you sign Ovi to $5 million, there is like, $14 million coming off your cap this year to go and like legitimately make a splash and do something to help update upgrade your like I mean you're gonna need to basically replace because that's all but you know you got Connor McMichael coming up too. And I'm not gonna say he's gonna be an automatic two C, but like Hendricks Lapierre as well. Like you have some names that you know, if you could find a legitimate two C stopgap, you might be able to upgrade your depth internally. And you have a ton of money to work with to go, you know, tinker with your blue line or whatever as well. And like this team could be more intriguing if they could, you know, find some cap space. But I just, I, I don't know like that if, you know, the, the difference between a five and a $10 million deal just is so aggressive where it's like you could go from $14 million in cap space to $7 million in cap space, right? Like,
1: yeah, that would be huge. And the one thing about that though, kinda, i kind of, I kind of glanced over this earlier. Do they get something for Kuznetsov? Cause like, I know if I'm Seattle and they approach me, I want at least Connor McMichael to take that Kuznetsov contract. But like do you think they get plus value for him?
0: I you can't like should and I don't uh, I could practice. see them I don't I don't like it depends what you think plus value means. Like I I could see a scenario where they don't actually have to give too much up to get rid of him, but they really don't get much back. It's just kind of like here's a struggling player or maybe they take a struggling contract from like, like, this isn't the greatest example, but like, I'm thinking like, you know how like everyone was super down on Phil Kessel last year and kind of grantedly. So like, he's just kind of playing out his career. It feels like in Arizona, you know, like just scoring goals here, there, but not very useful. Like if there was like a player like that, where Arizona like wanted to make a splash, like I could see like a Phil Kessel one year of Phil Kessel for a three year of Kuznetsov kind of swap, if that makes any sense.
1: Kind of like that. Basically just like the, the Neil for Luchic thing on steroids. Yeah,
0: exactly. Where it's like, I think, you know, maybe Washington gets a player that, um, you know, they, they want to, they could either try and flip again, or, you know, um, is definitely overpaid, but it's less overpaid than what Kuznetsov was, or you you get cap space. So basically the, the point for doing that for Washington and Um, you know, again, I don't think Kessel is maybe the best example. That was just kind of the first guy that came to my head. Um, But like, let's say you find a guy who's struggling and the team doesn't really like him for five and a half million dollars or whatever. Well, then suddenly you've saved two and a half million dollars trading from that guy to Kuznetsov. And, you know, maybe you see some value in that guy playing lower in your lineup or whatever. And, you know, you can use that two and a half million dollars plus, say, I don't know, say you just move someone else out, uh, Carl Haglin or something like that. You use that and now suddenly you have four and a half, five million dollars, you go get a legitimate two C again, right? Like something like that would be what my idea would be. But I, I don't know, you know, how doable that is. I'm really curious to see what they, you know, how they approach it.
1: Yeah, that'll be interesting. It's too bad they don't have space, like a Tyler Johnson style player. I could see.
0: Yeah, something exactly. Like- yeah, something like that. And like again, like Tampa wouldn't want to take that Kuznetsov contract on, but like something like that would definitely make sense.
1: Yeah, I can see that. That's actually now that you say that what I think the most likely return will be, even though, like I said, if I'm a team, I want at least McMichael to take on that contract.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, okay. Well, we haven't done any second round previewing, so let's do that. Uh, game one is already in the books here between Boston and the um, the Islanders. Boston won. Uh, I believe it ended up four, two. Let me double check that real quick though. If I have two, they must end on an empty net or a late goal last night. Um, five, two game. I didn't get to watch any of it. Uh, I'll, I don't want to throw this out. This is kind of what I was leaning where I think Boston kind of takes the Islanders. I'm going to go Boston in six here. I just, again, I think the Islanders goalies will definitely steal a game or two, but I just don't see Tuka Rask and Yaroslav Halak both just absolutely melting down like Tristan Jari did. And, you know, to me, I just think the Islanders were outplayed last round. Um, they hang in there. That's what they do, but I think they're going to be outplayed this round and the difference is I just don't think the goaltending for Boston is going to be bad enough that the Islanders can truly take advantage of it.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. Similar vein. I'm going to say Bruins in five again, watching them just roll them over last night. The Bruins are really, really, really fucking good. And the Islanders are not.
0: Yeah. I mean, they're, they're a really strong team. So it would not shock me in the slightest if it, you know, it's, a five game or anything like that I just I think Sor- Sorokin's been so hot that I, I do see him I could see him just like posting like a 42 save win and then you know just I don't know let's say Rast lets in a, a week one here or there you know th- there's two games right there but I think Boston takes this one I think rel- relatively comfortable comfortable like I, I don't plan on watching this one compared to most of the other second round series as much but uh yeah we'll definitely see how it goes um I don't have much more to say on that because I think we'll spend a good amount of next week, you know, just dis- discussing it as well. So this is more of a, I guess it's more of a round one recap than it is a round two preview, but we're going to try and do a bit of both. Of course.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it looks like they're obviously up one, nothing, but to win a dollar on a Bruin series bet right now, you have to bet five bucks. So they're pretty aggressively favored at this point.
0: Yeah. And that, I think that's fair. Um, series number two, lightning hurricanes. Uh, let's start with the lightning lightning versus Florida. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think this is going to go down as one of the more overrated series in instant memory. That game one was honestly one of the best hockey games I've seen in a long time. And I feel like people are going to cling on to that as what the whole series was. Um, And I I don't think that's very fair. Like I I just, it was a good series. Don't get me wrong, but it's not like it was like the Hawks Kings from like 2012 to 2014 kind of thing.
1: Yeah, that's fair. It it started off so hot and it didn't live up to it, which is, kind of unfair to set your expectations that high because of course it didn't live up.
0: Yeah. Like it was, it was almost just never going to live up to that first game. It was just such, such strong first game. Right. But um, it was a good series overall. Um, I thought uh, uh, I thought Florida showed more fight and it, I don't know why they went back to Bobrovsky, if I'm being honest. Um, it was pretty clear that after he got pulled at first, if you're going to pull Treger, you got to go to Spencer Knight and, they did it a game too late and Spencer Knight played really strong for two games, but it ended up in bolts uh, Bolton six. And again, I don't think that's a shocking outcome. However, I, I will say credit to the Panthers because they, you know, it wasn't like massive differential 54 and 53% in terms of expected goals. But um, you know, in fact, the smallest difference of any series that we saw, but um, they outplayed the lightning at least, or played with the lightning at least I should say. And um, you know, I definitely think there's some people who wasn't sure, weren't sure if they would do that. You know, I thought that, you know, they would be pretty good, but there was hesitation as well for me. And uh, it, this is definitely a series where it's kind of, it's really sad that they didn't have Ekblad for, because I really wonder, you know, obviously one guy doesn't swing so much, but when it's a number one defenseman, it you know, in a playoff series, um, I, I do wonder how much of an effect that could have had.
1: Yeah. That would have been nice to see, especially cause like, yeah, it's tough for one guy to have a huge impact, but missing your top defenseman who can play shutdown minutes against the Tampa Bay freaking Lightning is just so crushing.
0: Yeah, 100%. Um, uh, for Florida now, like, uh, I don't know. I, I think they got an interesting offseason ahead of them too. We'll, we'll definitely dive into it in a couple of weeks here. But, um, you know, uh, they have some decisions to make. Mainly, what the hell do you do with Bobrovsky? I'm assuming they probably keep him for another year and let Dredger walk. Um, because like you talked about, you want at least McMichael for, um, um, Kuznetsov if you're Seattle, how much are you asking to take on Bobrovsky? It's multiple first round picks, right?
1: Oh yeah. Like
0: literally the conversation starts at like two first round picks. Two and a prospect, I would say almost, or like two and you let us take another player that we kind of like, you know, like.
1: Yeah. Like we're getting Marchment and two firsts or something kind of like that.
0: Yeah. Like, because I just like, this is just oh, yeah, I meant, sorry, wrong form of relief. This is the worst contract in the league. I bar none.
1: This is like a stunningly awful contract. And it's funny because it was clearly dumb. You didn't have to exactly be a genius to realize that this contract was going to suck, but it's blown up in an even more spectacular fashion than we had thought. And we were really critical of this contract the moment it was signed.
0: Absolutely. Like we said, Oh, this is going to be bad. You know, maybe it'll be good for a year or two. And uh, no, it was not that it was just horrible straight off the bat. And uh, yeah, they're stuck with him for five more years unless they can find a trade partner. And I just, I don't know who is crazy enough to trade for it, but this is the NHL, right? So um, from an, a non-Bobrovsky standpoint, like again, I, I don't mind this roster. It's not, Great. But I think the depth, you know, the depth proved to be pretty strong last year. So um, the, the biggest question will be, you know, what do you do with some guys? And and this is not all this year. Uh, they got to re-sign DeClaire. I think he'll get a pay raise and I would be absolutely shocked if he's not looking for a four to five year term. Um, <clears throat> do you do that if you're Florida? Maybe if you can get them, like if you got like four by four for DeClaire, would you do that or no? I don't think I would. Do you think the team would? Because I, I think that's two different things
1: the team absolutely would i would think but i think um with the flat cap and stuff just having that four million dollars to say you know what declare it worked out great here but go get your payday somewhere else and we're going to kind of go we think we can spend this cap space more efficiently would be my plan with the flat cap but i think they could i could easily they give like you told me they signed him for four by four would not shock me in the slightest
0: yeah i mean like he finished 37th among all forwards and goals above replacement this year so it's not like, it's not like he's bad or like he, he had a great year, but you know, last year he was 1.4 goals above replacement, which puts him, oh, let me find him. I'm going to say well into like the bottom six area. Yes. Probably yeah. 1.4 him in 280 area. Um, yeah, right. So like, I, yeah. So it's just kind of thing where it's like, do you pay for career years? And that's kind of the thing where I'm really curious to see if this team walks away from, from guys who, have careers or not, or if they stay, if, if declare one three by three, I think I would do that though. But I would less, less than one less male, one less year. I think I would definitely consider that at least.
1: Younger than I thought he's been around yeah. forever. I wasn't drafted that high.
0: Yeah. And he's just played on so many teams that you just think of him as like a 30 year old walking vet or whatever, but he's 25 years old. Um, You know? So like, if you sign him to a three by three, you're signing him until he's 28. And then again, you can truly walk away from UFA if you need to.
1: Yeah. One thing that would worry me about if I'm Florida, have you seen PFF Eric's study of like how long good teams stay good in the NFL? No. So he broke down like the fluidity of being like a bad team or like being a mediocre team or being a good or an elite team basically. And this was with boat football, but I would bet this simply similar exists in hockey where like, The best of the, the most consistent state for a team is the elites of the elites, like the Patriots being the Patriots. Like they were just, the most consistent thing was them being good more so than the worst teams being bad. And he found, so you can think of like the Tampa Bay lightning being good. is like a lock still. And that is way more consistent than the Minnesota wild being mediocre. So what would kind of worry me is everything went right for Florida this year, but they weren't like the elite of the elite. And how much that could like I'd be really scared that that can change really really fast. And in three years, you're looking back being like, oh, 2021 was kind of our shot, and we haven't looked even close to the same sense Because,
0: well, and their division's getting harder too, right? Like Tampa staying in this division. Yes, Carolina's moving out of it, but now you get Boston and Toronto back in. Like, it's not like the road gets any easier for them after this year.
1: It gets a lot more difficult.
0: Yeah. Now they and- get- like the Sens back, but like the Sens have shown, even though they're not a good team.
1: They're not exactly easy, like free points either.
0: Yeah. And you get the wings and Sabre. Like the, the, the um, Atlantic is just so top heavy, so bottom heavy as well. Right. Like, it's just like Montreal is maybe the only, and even Montreal, I think there was arguments where it's like, they're probably lower than we think. It's just, you know, like, like if they were in the Atlantic this year, I think Montreal finishes close to 24th overall again. I mean, completely honest, but um, yeah. Like yeah, so it's it's very top heavy, bottom heavy. I'm really curious to see though what they do because um this year, next year, like Cardiff or Haggy, they they made a great deal signing him to a two-year deal, so they have another year to kind of um you know see what he can bring. Um, Ryan Lomberg, he's got another year. He was a a force in the playoffs trying to, you know, get under Tampa skin. But Sam Bennett, like Sam Bennett was a Replacement level player for his entire year in Calgary. He went to Florida and suddenly became one of the best players that we've ever seen. Like he was just—he now he didn't have a great playoff and he took a stupid suspension, but for that regular season stretch, he was just absolutely unreal. So um I, I'm going to be really curious. This Alex wenberg's another name that I think if they don't re-sign him, Alex wenberg's a, a guy that I think a lot of teams could really benefit from on a sneaky free agent kind of deal. But we'll see how that goes. Um, I, I think this is going to be a big display of do they believe in being able to find cheap talent year after year or are they going to do the thing where they find cheap talent and go look at all this cheap talent we found for you know super cheap let's just go pay them all and i think the the secondary thing would be a mistake but that's what we see so often in the nhl yeah
1: 100 percent. and i guess i should say or ask like i don't know if you believe what i was saying earlier to be true but like i think there's something to once you hit a certain threshold of good you being good next year is the most consistent thing Did the Florida Panthers hit a level of good this
0: year that you're confident they're going to be that good next year, or no? Like, like they were like a good team. Like they, I don't know. Like I'm going. Sorry, I'm trying to pull up the regular season stat. Like there was no reason to believe if you're going to go from like Corsi four and expected goals that like they are a bad team. Like they finished fifth in Corsi four percentage. They finished even higher in expected goals. Fourth in expected goals. They have one of the best coaches of a generation, multiple generations, I would argue. And they have, you know, the, the big thing, okay, you know, here, here's the big thing for me. Can Alex Barkov be this Alex Barkov year in, year out?
1: Yeah, like is Barkov actually new Datsuk or is he who he's been for the past, previous like four years?
0: Yeah, because in, and even at the end of the year, like his numbers dropped off more than people want to admit. Um, you know, like there was a start of the year where he literally looked like Pete Datsu. Um, he still had a very, very, very good year this year. He was unreal. If you know, if he wins the Selkie, I don't even think I'd be that disappointed. Um, just especially because of some of the other guys we've seen win at times, right? But, um, it, that's the biggest question to me is can he be this guy where he is a legitimately good defensive player and an absolutely unreal offensive threat while driving his own line? Because and Hubert knows the same question because that was the biggest thing for me. They split those two guys up. They had two legitimately dominant lines. If they keep going with that, I think that they are on a level where it's like they can be at least good, you know, where they're going to be in that wildcard hunt. But if they can't do that, they're in, in some trouble.
1: Yeah, that's that's 100% fair. Cause like as good as Verhagi or whatever has been, like, I assume you're not like, you think that's mostly a product of Barkov, right?
0: Like, yeah, like it's, I'm sure he's a good any or you know like maybe there's a role for him as a legitimate NHL player but he's not throwing up the season that he had this season every year.
1: Yeah, exactly. And like I feel like sometimes those guys take too much crap. Like there's there's real value in being Connor Sheary who can yep. like sixth in the league in points per hour with the Penguins and not kind of do anything anywhere else. And if for Haggy's your equivalent of that. Like there is real value there. It's just you can't the-
0: The problem is you can't pay for it or like you can't overpay for it because you have to realize like Carter Haggy was on a 69 nice point pace this year. You can't pay him like a normal 69 point player or 70 point player because that's not what he is. You know, in reality, he's probably closer to a 35 point player, 40 point player playing with one of the best players in the league. And if you pay him like that and he accepts to be paid like that, that's totally fine. That's totally good. But if you start paying him like a 70 point player, you're going to be sorely disappointed
1: yeah it's gonna hurt pretty quick so that'll that'll be interesting what they do with that it's not a fun spot to be in actually
0: no it's kind of tough because they're kind of like like there's a good chance they're kind of stuck in that mediocre realm which you don't really want to see because they are like an excited exciting team and also it's just a market that i don't know like i guess being mediocre is better than being absolutely horrible but like it's just a tough spot so we'll, we'll see Let's switch gears here. Let's go to the other series now, Carolina, Nashville. Uh, this one went a little longer than I think most people thought it would have. Uh, pretty good series overall. You know, Nashville, uh, we talked about it. If Nashville wanted a chance at winning, they were going to need Soros to be huge. And um, Soros was unreal. You know, he was kind of everything that he promised to be. And it still just wasn't quite enough because this this Hurricanes team is really good. And, um, you know, there's what I think it was back to back double overtime wins for the Predators. So some definitely some variants in there as well. This game very easily probably could have been over in four, but Um, yeah, this kind of went exactly how we thought it would have, right?
1: Yeah, pretty much. Soros gives them a chance, but at the end of the day, he wasn't like halak levels of just absolutely dragging them over a team that's clearly better than they are.
0: Yeah. And, um, you know, again, like there was just, I don't remember what Dom's model had this at it, but this must've been like this, this felt like one of the ones where I was like, I just would have been in some disbelief if the Predators actually won the series, you know, like, um, like the Blues beating the Avalanche, even that it's like, I would have been surprised, but it's like, if you told me Bennington, who we've seen stand on his head for four or five games did that. And um, you know, Tarasenko and Hoffman just go to like peak forms of their own selves and just everything they touched went in the net. Basically. It's like, okay. Yeah. That seems very unrealistic, but like there's an avenue, I guess where I can see it. Right. But like this series, it's just like, unless the every single one of the Canes goalies just shit themselves all at the same time, I, the, the, the predators just weren't winning and uh, Nadelkovich actually stands up and he takes the starters role away from either. I mean, he took it away from Reimer at the beginning of the year, but I think him and morazik was still maybe a discussion, but he's clearly the guy they're going to roll with and rightfully so here. Uh, he kind of just provided them with the goaltending they needed. He had a 922, I think just slightly below goal, below goal saved above average. So um, yeah, a pretty good series, all things considered for a what was technically, I guess, a 1v8 or, you know, a 1, 1v4, one I guess, in this scenario. But uh, I don't know. I, I think that's uh, um, that's exactly what we expected. If you're Nashville, again, you're kind of in a tough spot because it's like, what do you do here? Like, you have a couple good pieces but not a good enough team.
1: Yeah, they're so aggressively
0: mediocre. Yeah, like, it, like they're just right in the middle.
1: And there's – I don't want to say nothing you can do about it because the one – ingenious thing David Poyle has done is none of their players have um, trade protection, except for Yossi's got a full, no move. But other than that, they're pretty much safe on the skater department. So there's stuff that can be done, but they just have so much money locked into a team. That's clearly the 17th best team in the league or so, which is not a good spot to be in.
0: Yeah. And it's like, the only contracts you'd want to get rid of are like the ones you probably, or the only teams that the only contracts teams want are probably the ones you don't really want to get rid of. Like at this point, I guess, if you're planning to rebuild, you got to flip Harbidsson. He's already 28. That would be a good contract, I think, for teams to try and pick up on, but, and Forsberg one more year at six mil. Like I, I think you have to look at flipping Forsberg this year, right? Like what scenario is he still on this team and a huge contributor the next time you're a legitimate cup threat?
1: Yeah, there isn't one.
0: The problem is, I don't,
1: NHL teams love to just kind of keep the guy, and I'm sure they'll trade Forsberg at the deadline because they think they're a playoff team.
0: And yeah, well, they, they should have flipped guys this year. Like, there's no reason that they should have kept Eckholm. Um, like, they, they should have tried to get an absolute haul for a team who would have got Eckholm at, at two playoff runs at $3.75 million.
1: They should have traded both Eckholm and this name that didn't get brought up at all. But now that you say it, they should have traded Forsberg too. Him and Eckholm should have been gone. And they could be sitting there with like, I don't know, something like 10 picks in the first two rounds in the next three years. And suddenly it looks a lot better. But of course, now they have just their own picks because they didn't do either of those things.
0: Yeah, like the Ekholm trade package has to start with a first, a high-end prospect, and then a bunch of other pieces, right? Like a, a first, third, high-end prospect kind of thing. Like he's that yeah. good.
1: Yeah, he is that good. And he's for two years of him too. Like you could do so well. And it'd be one of those trades where the team giving all that up for him. We're not even ripping them apart because they're getting an elite defenseman for two playoff runs, but now he's going to be a deadline. And the other thing is you expose yourself to a lot of variance next year because they're looking, they're going to be looking to trade at and Forsberg and these guys have been good for a long time. They'll probably be good next year, but notice the word "probably."
0: Yeah, like that could change at any moment, right? So, I don't know. Like, you're not. You, there's no way you're flipping Shane or Johansson, right?
1: No, you don't get unless you're paying like your entire draft class this year, so that to Seattle or something ridiculous like that. But like, if well, it would my- take want this kind of either of those deals
0: yeah and like i saw like both of them were kind of like the one team that people always just tried to link them back to rightfully or not was always just kind of like the blue jackets because the blue jackets kind of missed that center right yeah. um but like again like the blue jackets i think are about to start a rebuild so why would they pick up a horrible contract that we know is actively bad to rebuild with unless they're getting assets for it of course which then sure different story but i don't think Nashville's going to want to give up a ton of assets to get rid of these guys. Like, if your plan is to rebuild, just let them sit there.
1: Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Because if you're Columbus, I guess if you get enough draft picks, you say yes. But also, like, that's five years. Like, it's tough to go to your owner as a not big team and say, we're going to pay $8 million for this guy we know sucks right now. Like, there's not many teams that are going to be willing to do that with a flat cap and Elliot Friedman said, it doesn't look like it's going up for like five years, maybe.
0: Yeah. I saw that. I, that seems strange, but I mean, like I could see it not growing a ton over five years. That's for sure.
1: Yeah. I can see Yeah. Not growing at all would be aggressive, especially because the NFL, didn't it just go up like 14% for next year? They're projecting already.
0: Yeah. But they just, well, I guess the NHL did too. I would say, cause the NFL just signed that massive new TV deal. Yeah.
1: And it's but, obviously, and
0: all, the NFL already had fans in their stands as of last year. And I think it's all going to be packed buildings this year. So
1: that's true.
0: Cause like the NFL was in a really good, this is a bit of a tangent and we'll stay off of it, but the NFL was in a really lucky spot as lucky as you can be for COVID anyways, because the worst of it hitting did not affect their season at all. You know, like it, it hit in March, the seasons wrapped up by then. Um, they had to do the draft online, obviously, but then by the time that, September rolled around it was like a lot of the states were already getting over it to the point where they, they, they probably shouldn't have been but to the point where it's like they could just have like some of the buildings had fans in their stands for all 16 or all eight games or whatever.
1: Yeah. Yeah cuz it probably got people killed. But uh from just like a purely economic perspective it was a good spot for them.
0: Yeah, 100%. So um yeah, I don't know, it would be interesting to see what Nashville does here. Uh Tampa, Carolina, this should be an awesome series. The game one drops, the puck drops in about uh, three hours after we're done recording this. Um, So hopefully it's not an absolute dud. But yeah, this series, I'm really excited. Uh, This is one that I want to try and watch every game of if possible. Um, I got to do the preview for it on last word on sports or last word on hockey.com. And uh, the the more I wrote about it, I was like, oh, this is going to be like really good. Like the depth for most teams is just like, everyone talks about Tampa's depth, but like Carolina can kind of, match it in terms of, they don't have guys who are just going to put up hat tricks in their depth, but like, yeah, just guys like Jordan Martin, Newt, Brock McGinn, um, you know, Ryan Suzuki, uh, Morgan geeky, like those guys are just going to play Tampa's depth hard to the point where it's like, I think the deciding factor here is obviously going to be the blue line and the top six, Ken Aho, Tara Vinen, Trocheck, Trochek, uh, um, Svechnikov and Martin Nikash has been massive as well. Um, Ken, those guys, just win the battle against the big boys for Tampa um, that's going to be the real ultimate factor I think for for Carolina in this series.
1: yeah this feels like a huge measuring stick series for Carolina because I know a lot of people and I believe betting markets too have Carolina in like the elite of the elite teams but like I still think they're a pretty decent step behind Tampa Bay so this will be a perfect measuring stick to find out if they are in that class of true cup contenders or if they are a distinct tier below the Tampa Bay lightnings of the world.
0: Yeah. And Tampa Bay is just so aggressive on paper too. Cause it's like, I, I, okay. again, like the Carolina is really good on paper as well, but like, even just like, I was going like, so I did my preview yesterday. I go, yeah, Carol, I start off with Carolina's definitely got the edge in defense. And I do still think that's true, especially with an injured headman. That's the big thing for Tampa is if headman's hundred percent, which I don't think he was in that Florida series, he got outplayed pretty badly. That's pretty big for them because then they can run McDonough, Hedman, Savard, uh, Sergeyev, um, um, who else do they have? Uh, Cernak as well. Like they have a pretty good blue line where it's like, I think that, uh, Carolina definitely has the high-end talent in Slavin and uh, Hamilton, obviously. And then, but after that, it's like Jake Gardner and Brady Shea are not what they, well, I mean, Brady Shea just never had one good year and that was about it. But um, Jake Gardner's not what he used to be. Brett Pesci, I really like, but it's like Jake Bean's good. Like they have a bunch of depth. It's a really good defense score, but even against Tampa, I don't think it's like overwhelmingly better if you have a healthy headman.
1: No, not not overwhelmingly so but to the extent at which Hedman's healthy is really up in the air, which works in Carolina's favor.
0: Absolutely. And then goaltending is the biggest question mark, because, you know, um, again, like we can say, I think Vasilevsky was overrated for a little while. I think he, maybe there's argument he still is slightly overrated, but like, it's pretty undisputable in my opinion that he's not a like, he's, he's a top three goalie in the league and he can be on any given night, which is so huge.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. He's absolutely freaking amazing. And you can maybe, like, if you're trying to spin it for Carolina, you can easily do it. You're worried about Vasilevsky wearing down, but, like, you can't bet on that until you've seen it.
0: Yeah, and, like, just this year, like, he had 19.53 goals saved above average. Like, I think that ranked top three. Um, Yep, third.
1: model you used, it was either he was just, like, in that top tier and then different models. One, One would have him one, one would have him three, one would have him two or whatever, but.
0: Yep. And now um, your argument, if you're a Canes fan, guess who's sitting at fifth by uh, evolving hockey standard, Alex Nadelkovich in 23 games, which is um, like, yeah, like which is 19 less than what Vasilevsky played. And he had five less goals saved above average. So um, Nadelkovich has been absolutely lights out, um, but it's obviously the thing of, is this just a hot goalie getting hot at the right time? Or is this an extended run of a really good goalie, which we've seen from Vasilevsky, right? So. Yeah, hundred percent. And uh, Malkovich is going to have to be really fucking good in this series. He's playing yeah. the best shooter in the league. Yeah, absolutely. And like Carolina's, like they're, they're, Carolina's got to be on the best of their game. But so does Tampa. Like if Tampa tries to go out there and take a game off, Carolina will absolutely destroy them.
1: Yes, because even if Tampa or Carolina is in that second class of contenders, as opposed to the first, you absolutely Tampa is not. Like you can't take them lightly at all they're not that good or
0: that much better than they are exactly um so yeah this should be an exciting series i'm gonna go i'll stick with it i had carolina going to the cup in my in my preview i'll go carolina and seven but i think this will be a deep series
1: there you go i got tampa and seven
0: all right um well this is taking a while we'll speed up i don't think we'll talk about the canadian division quite as much but we will talk about them for sure uh let's do colorado vegas real quick because this is another great series uh colorado st louis not much to talk about here Colorado absolutely freaking dominated um that's like to the extent like there's st louis literally could do nothing um what we do have to talk about is nazim kadri um so he got suspended eight games i don't think we've actually talked about this on the podcast now that i say it mm-hmm. maybe we have I, I can't remember he got suspended eight games though um absolutely disgusting hit no but oh yeah i think we did talk about it last week but the suspension hadn't come down yet um, um. Um, But yeah, so just disgusting hit. There's no place for that in hockey. I think he's going to be appealing it, but by the sounds of it, by the appeal process goes through, it's going to be like most of the eight games are going to be up anyway. So um, I think he missed, he missed what, two games of the St. Louis series or just one. He'll he'll be missing most of this series. He's either missing, I think, six or seven games out of this series. So um, no Cadre, but I don't think that's as big of a loss for Colorado as maybe people thought. Like Cadre hasn't been great this year, if we're being honest.
1: No, something that was kind of underrated when Leafs fans, we love to relitigate the Khadri trade is that like he had a really high shooting percentage last year, but Condry's underlying numbers are really actually not nearly as good as anyone would expect. When you look into Naz- how Nazem Khadri has been as an half, it's just, he shot a pretty high percentage last year. That's the extent at which it's been good for him.
0: Yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, that'll be interesting. Um, obviously I feel like I was shocked that they gave him eight games, but I was, I was happy. Like, I think that's kind of right in the wheelhouse of like, like, obviously I give him as many games as you can. That's all what I'm here for. But I think eight, considering this was his third time doing something stupid like this and in four years is, and you know, if you're talking about playoff games, it's 16 or whatever. Um, I don't really like that theory, but that's the theory they go by. So, Um, You know, if you look at it as a 16-game regular season suspension, that is one of the more aggressive ones we've seen in a number of years. I think that's probably appropriate. Yeah, he's shown no ability to learn. Yep, and you need to keep punishing him more and more. be worse than the previous ones. This was just like... So this was one where I don't think he was actively headhunting. Like, the previous ones, you could tell he was trying to hurt the two guys in Boston, right? But... This one was the most disgusting hit I think I have ever seen since like the lockout almost. Yeah. Like this was just one of the most predatory hit. Like, and again, I say predatory and like, I don't think he was going, I'm actively going to try and ruin this dude's career, but it was just, he got nothing but the head straight to the shoulder coming across on a defensive player. You just, you cannot do that. That is gross. Yeah, exactly.
1: Cause like I don't think Kadri is like a malicious person or whatever but he very clearly anger gets the best of him, and he does things that you absolutely cannot do. And this was like Matt cook level of you're just getting nothing but the dude's brain.
0: Yeah. Like it was just, this was the only way this could have been worse is if he tried to leap like three feet off his feet to do it. And um, like, even that it's just like that, that would have just been worse optically. Like this was just a disgusting hit no place in hockey for it. So um, yeah, he'll be gone for the series and rightfully so. Uh, Let's get into uh, St. Louis real quick in their offseason. Uh, again, there's a puck, I was in puck soup the other day, and um, they made a good point that said that they could definitely see this team just saying, well, this was a COVID year. What do you want us to do? Let's take another kick at the can, which I can definitely see, but they have a lot of contract decisions to make this summer chase. Jaden Schwartz up. Tyler Bozak yeah. up. Mike Hoffman up. Uh, Zach Sanford up. Ivan Barbashev up. So Robert Thomas up. Um, Jordan Cairo up. Um, on the blue line, Vince Dunn is up. And I was shocked they even kept him this year. I think this will be a very new look team going into next year, whether they like it or not.
1: Yeah, I don't think they have much of a choice because they're in an all right spot going forward because they don't have a ton of long-term money, minus two kind of gross contracts on the blue line. But there's a lot. I, I heard the puck soup theory too, and it sounds like something most NHL teams would do but I don't know if the blues are going to have a choice for the flat cap in this many contracts up.
0: Well, they're five mil over the cap. Like they're using 10 mil on LTIR with Steen. Oh no. Steen's up this year. And so is Gunnarsson. So there's your seven and a half ish million dollars or whatever, but Sunquist at 2.75 is uh, um, still there. So we'll see what they do with that. But yeah, like I just, I don't see them bringing, well, Hoffman's not coming back. That just didn't sound like it worked bozak yeah. maybe but it would have to be at like a two million dollar hit you know like i think if bozak wants to return because he won a cup there or whatever it's got to be on a discounted salary
1: yeah you're not giving him the same AAV again even for a one-year deal
0: yeah um and then i would try to if you're if you want to go for it you got to keep jane schwartz i think but that might be tough too he'll be a very interesting case study in the office in the um in the summer to see you know what he actually fetches from the market because i know you're very high on him and he had a not as great year this year but still good year um but i just the thing he does doesn't get paid so i'm I'm really curious to see what he gets on the open market if he goes there
1: yeah he'll be an interesting one to watch he's like the big one that i think they're gonna like he's not coming back i don't think and if he does come back it's going to be on an ugly contract
0: yeah so we'll see what happens um that's all I really have on St. Louis. I I mean this team is this team feels like a team just destined to be kind of mediocre for the next couple of years. Like just yep. kind of what they did this year, you know, where they, they get in the playoffs as a wild card, but they're just gonna get killed by the first team. And maybe, maybe one year you catch lightning in a bottle and you win a round and then you get killed by whoever in the second round. Like it's Minnesota-esque almost from the past couple of years is what this roster feels like it's shaping up to be.
1: Yeah. They seem destined for that and they won their cup. So good for them, but it doesn't look like, like they got absolutely fucking massacred by a real cup contender this year. And there is no, nothing in the system or about to change that I'm aware of. That makes me think they're going to be any better next year.
0: Yeah. Um, Let's go to the other series, Minnesota and Vegas, a thrilling seven game series. Um, so take a lot of our conversation on Florida and put it to Minnesota, in my opinion here, the, um, the stuff you said about have they become a good enough good team where we expect them to be good every year. Do you think so? Cause I don't personally.
1: No, I would obviously we'll need to see next year's odds and I'm sure bookmakers are smart. They will do a good job of correcting for it. But Minnesota's a team that I have my eye on to hit the under on next year
0: yeah i think so like this really feels like one of those opportunity wasted years much like florida where it's like and i don't think minnesota was as good as florida like i reference florida stats minnesota was they were the team that everyone called a sneaky good team it's like hey, okay, when everyone's calling them a sneaky good team they're no longer a sneaky good team you know yeah um, good team. Yeah, like so it's one of those. but like they do have good players like i i like the roster i'm just I'm not sold that they're going to be a top team. That being said, I do think the one thing going absolutely in their favor, at least just from um, um, an odd standpoint maybe next year, is uh, I think they go into a bit of an easier division, if I'm not mistaken. So right right now they had obviously the Blues – um, they, they, underperformed, um, but they had the, the avalanche and golden Knights next year. They don't have the golden Knights. Their division will be the predators who are not very high on the jets who are not very high on the blues who were not very high on the stars who might back, but we're not very high on the abs, which we are really freaking high on the Hawks who suck and the wild. And I think see, I think either, I think Arizona is coming into this division too. So Seattle goes to the Pacific. And it's not like we are very high on Arizona either. So like, there's a, leg- a legitimate path where they are the second best team in this division again next year. But I don't know. Like this just felt like one of their best years to go for it. It just they kind of got screwed with a good, a great division, really, a top heavy.
1: Yeah, the fact that they couldn't even win around because they got I don't know maybe the second second best team in the league in the first round. Yeah, yeah. I'm just a little like the Minnesota Wild team got a lot of like press that they were actually exciting this year. This team shot at a really, really high percentage. And as good as Kirill Kaprasov is, I also don't think he's magic. I'm pretty sure this team's going to regress
0: because they're a good team, but they are not a great team. Absolutely. Like it's just yeah, like it's one of those things where again, like I think you could hit the under. Um, But it it wouldn't shock me if they're high in their division next year. But, like, again, we might be coming into the playoffs in the central division next year and be like, dude, the Avalanche literally have a free ride to the third round.
1: Yeah, because they're going to have one of those things, like, where you can see the Avs at the top and then there's going to be, like, four teams. You're like, look, I have no clue. You can flip a coin for these four teams, basically. The West
0: is so bad, man. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't think it got talked about enough just because they were kind of scattered everywhere. But like, like we just went through, I, I named in the Central, how many good teams do you think I named? I think I named the Avalanche yeah. who are elite, the Wild, I would say good, and the Jets, Blues, and Stars, maybe Predators are all mediocre for different reasons.
1: Yeah, thanks to just like pure variance, one of those teams will likely to be good within any given season, but like no individual of them is that likely to be good either.
0: Yeah. Now look at the Pacific division. The flames look like they're about to blow it up. The sharks are in the middle of a rebuild. The golden Knights are really, really good. The coyotes are the coyotes. The Canucks are in no man's land. The ducks are rebuilding. They might be a little better next year. The Kings might be a little better next year, but they're still kind of coming out of that hump and the Oilers are the Oilers like in that division. It is again, Vegas is a real an elite team. The Oilers Canucks and Flames maybe there's an avenue to be average I don't even know if I'm there with the Flames anymore the Coyotes are slightly below average the Kings Ducks and Sharks are all rebuilding but the Kings could be like a slightly below average team like the, there's just no one like like good you know
1: yeah there's going to be a thing next year where whoever comes third out of Boston Toronto Tampa and Florida is going to be the third best team in their division and yet would also be the third best team in their conference in the alternate reality in which they were a Western conference team.
0: Absolutely. So um, yeah, that, that was just something I want to keep an eye out. Like the, the West sucks. I don't think we, it gets enough credit this year. Um, and then obviously Seattle, who knows what a Seattle will be, but um, um, yeah, I, I don't know. Like that's uh,
1: It's funny that's, to see like the ebbs and flows because throughout our whole like childhood slash like teenage years, the West was the dominant division.
0: Yeah. Oh, and that's why it's always stupid. The people who um, the people who are like, we need, we need to realign the divisions to make them more fair. It's like, well, it's just going to, and maybe you could switch one or two teams out, but like, it's like, it's just going to switch the other way, no matter what, because when good teams are good, the other, the bad teams will eventually become good, or at least some of them will, you know, like
1: hundred percent. It's, it's the Leafs division that's in balance now. So we get exposed to it a lot yeah. on Twitter because there's a ton of Leafs fans like two years ago, everybody was pissed off or three years ago, everybody was pissed off that the Stanley cup final always happened in the second round of the Metro division.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, three years in a row, the the winner of that match, second round matchup went on to win the Stanley cup. So like, and, and again, like if your solution was, well, let's just trade Toronto and Pittsburgh or whatever, it's like, okay, well, like a, that doesn't make sense logically, but B it's like, or like Boston and Pittsburgh or whatever. It's like, okay, well now you have, Boston, who's just running over a division, and Pittsburgh, who is still making this like Atlantic division very, very strong, right? Like,
1: Yeah, exactly. There's no way around it. Just through pure chance, you're going to get strong divisions and weak divisions, and yep. it's going to change. So you can't try to get out ahead of it.
0: Yep. Um, that's enough on Minnesota, I think. Uh, Colorado, Vegas, this should be an awesome series. Uh, what's your prediction in this one?
1: Um. That's a good question. I might say Avs in 6. I think I think,
0: think I was I was going to say the same thing. But yeah.
1: The I biggest
0: like, yeah. the biggest concern for me is just how quick of a turnaround it is for Vegas.
1: Yeah, and like Minnesota played them really hard. Like watching the Avs who we thought we were we knew the Avs were going to be like really good, but watching them just absolutely run St. Louis out of the building just gave me so much confidence that, like, they're real. They are that good.
0: Yeah, and, like, Vegas, was again, like, I I don't think Minnesota is a great matchup for Vegas, but at the same time, like, like, that's a tough, even if it wasn't, and now it's like, okay, now we can play our better hockey. That's a tough series. Like, that, that breaks down the body, you know what I mean? Like, and again, like, there's only so many intangibles you can throw into a thing, but, like, it's just natural that a team that has only played four games where they are absolutely dominant in all four games and didn't have to worry about it is going to be more rested, more healthy, ready to go than a team that played seven games where literally every time they touched the puck, they were getting crunched because every hit, or I mean, in the playoffs, they say every hit means something or whatever, right?
1: I'm looking at Pinnacle. They have the most likely outcome as abs in five.
0: Hmm. That's, I, I feel, I think that is, I mean, they're probably really high on the abs, obviously, but I, I think that's sleeping on the Golden Knights. I do think this is a really strong team still.
1: They have abs in four as more likely than any of the outcomes in which the Golden Knights win.
0: That seems so great, especially because like, well, so then they're starting Robin Leonard in game one here, which seems a little wild to me, just how good Flurry's played. But like, that just speaks to the depth of this team's goaltending where it's like, oh yeah, we can sit our Vesna caliber goaltender for this year for a guy who has been a Vesna caliber goaltender for the past two years instead. Yeah, it's pretty wild. Why so, we- oh, go ahead. Sorry. I don't know why they're starting Leonard. I have no. He just, he left the starters net today, apparently.
1: Oh, I would have never guessed that. That's weird. Because yeah. was, If I remember correctly.
0: Yeah, like flurry has been unreal. Yeah, I think he was like second in playoff goal saved above average, only behind Hellebuck.
1: He's got a 931. Why are they not playing Fleury?
0: <laughs> yeah, I, unless there's like, unless he's like nicked up or something like that. That would
1: make the most sense.
0: But yeah, like I know, and I know DeBoer has talked about, like he wants to use both goalies. So it's like, oh, then Leonard's not cold coming in, but it's like when your one goalie is this good, just stick with that goalie for now, right? Like.
1: A hundred percent. Don't overthink it. He's been amazing all year. Just ride him.
0: Yeah. Um, okay. That's, uh, let's get on the last division here. Uh, again, quickly, we can do Jets, Edmonton. Um, I want to deep dive Edmonton, I think in a couple of weeks, so We won't touch as much on how to fix them other than, the narratives coming out of this freaking series about how it's actually might be McDavid and Drysidle's fault is just so funny to me. So funny. I love hockey. <laughs> like you just surrounded this team with the biggest pile of turds that you absolutely could in, in terms of depth. And you go, the depth had two goals over four games. Meanwhile, McDavid, I think, had six points and drysidal seven. And you go, No, it's your fault, you stupid idiots.
1: Yeah, like what a what a dumb sport. <laughs> like, the fact that people
0: actually think this is McDavid's fault. Just like, take a lap, like just take a lap. There's nothing more to be said than that, right? Like,
1: yeah, like I, I don't want to say anything too aggressive because everybody's wrong sometimes. But like, there's no excuse for being this wrong.
0: Yeah, it is not Bobby McDavid's fault. Yeah. Um, let Let's leave this there. I, I really, I think this is a full episode that we can do deep drive or at least half an episode where it's like we want to fix the Oilers or whatever because. Um, we've talked about it a lot, obviously, privately as well. So um, I'm, I'm not going to touch what they do this offseason. They obviously have a bunch of depth contracts coming up that they need to replace. So let's save this for a future episode in the summer um, where we talk about that. But uh, the series, again, like it was the Hellebuck show, right? Like, Yep.
1: Connor Hellebuck is amazing. And Mike Smith was not very good.
0: No, and, I, I mean, uh, like Smith was like a 9-12, I want to say. Like he didn't ruin the series for Edmonton, but – when you play a guy who had a nine fifty two over four games, you need to be better than a nine twelve if you want to win.
1: Yeah, yeah, because Hellebuck was just, and it's unfair of it's unfair of the Oilers to have put Smith in a position where he needs to play that close to Connor Hellebuck because he's not that close to Connor Hellebuck in terms of talent. But that's what happens.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah, and like again, like I don't really think Winnipeg even played all that well. Like I. Man, uh, we'll get into Toronto-Montreal here in one second. If it's Toronto, it's going to be close because it just always seems to be. But, like, man, like, I just don't think this Winnipeg team is that great. And, like, again, it's like, oh, they played them well. It's like, to a point, like, it is good that they shut down McDavid and Settle over two games, but that was more hellebuck than literally anything else. Like, a, I did a thing. They had, when they were on the ice, there were still seven expected goals between the two of them over the first two games. And there was, I think, one that actually went in.
1: Jesus. Or sorry, yeah.
0: it was, sorry, it was seven over three, and it was two that actually went in.
1: You know what this team reminds me of right now? Because I've seen that a lot, too, where people are, like, crediting their defense for the way they played McDavid. It reminds me of when Sens fans were convinced that, like, the cody ccd on Fanuf pairing was working because Craig Anderson had, like, a 935 in the playoffs at one point behind them.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And it's just, like, it's one of those things where it's, like, Ottawa doubled down on it. And if, you know, you do that with Winnipeg, like, I, I just, I, I don't think that's the right way to go. And I'm curious to see what they do. Right. So um, yeah, I, I just, I, I, I don't love this Winnipeg team at all. Like they, it's, it's funny. The um, um, in playoff for expected goals, the worst team was the St. Louis blues who went 0 and 4. The second worst team for expected goals was a team that went 4 and 0 with 41% of the expected goals in the Winnipeg jets. So um. Yeah. So let's, okay. Let's get on to the other series. We were already running real long here. Like it's been already an hour and 10 minutes almost. Um, it's, it is what it is, but let's, let's talk about the Montreal. So the, the tough part is we can't really preview a series. We don't know who it's going to be. Right. Um, so I'll say if it's Toronto, I'm going to go Toronto against Winnipeg, Toronto in five. If it's Montreal, a I don't want to freaking see that series. That sounds boring as hell. I'll fucking go Montreal in six, I guess. Montreal in seven, actually. Um, Montreal conference final run. Here we go. Um, this series, Toronto, 3-1 lead, absolutely dominating the entire series. Like, it hasn't even been close for most of the games other than game one. Game five happens, or sorry, um, yeah, game five happens. Um, you know, Toronto battles back all the way, gets it to uh, overtime, and Galchenyuk makes the worst pass I think I have ever seen in my entire life for a 2-1-0 from the opposite blue line all the way back, Habs win. A hilarious to me. It's so funny that the Toronto Maple Leafs are the only team that seems to routinely fight themselves back to a point where it's like, every time you see that happens, like there's no way this team's losing and they just find the weirdest way to do it. Um, I didn't watch much of the game yesterday. I saw they battle back again for a multi-goal lead and they lost in overtime. I, I saw the turnover by Dermott. Uh, people were not very happy about it and it was a pretty bad turnover. Not quite as bad as the Kwan. Um, This leads to a game seven all the pressure is on. What do you think happens here, Chase? And, and just give me your, your as a Leafs fan, your run view of the series as well.
1: Oh, I fucking hate this team. <laughs> I did call. I said, odds are I think Leafs and five is the most likely outcome. But I was like, I just have a nasty little feeling Leafs in seven. And I'm going to stick with that. But it's been infuriating thus far. And I think game seven is going to go one of two ways. Where either the Leafs look like an ass, the same way they did last game, and then they end up losing like a three to two game to the Habs, or Matthews and Marner actually show up, they're not fucking around, and they win like 5 1.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, so my. My head tells me to take the Leafs because the Leafs have been, even after these last two games, the Leafs have absolutely been the better team in this series. They came out a little flat. They came out flat in game five, but absolutely were the better team for 40 minutes after game six kind of sounded like it was the same thing, right? Like,
1: yeah, they came out really, really, really flat and they played so bad for so long, but they're the Leafs. And when they want to turn it on, of course, they can. They just don't always want to for some fucking reason. But like they played awful for 40 minutes and still won like the XG and scoring chance battle because when they came on strong, they absolutely fucking tore them apart.
0: Well, and funny enough, they played bad for 40 minutes and it was zero zero going into the set in the third for last night's game. And then they got scored on twice quick in the start of the third and they battled back. And um, the, the Habs are, I saw a stab from Sportsnet that the Habs are the only team to blow multiple goal leads in the third period and back-to-back playoff games and still win both games, which like, again, is one of those baseball stats where it's like, there's so many things to go right. It's like, of course, but it's also like, yeah, there's so many things they had to jump through for that to be true, where it's like, how is that even possible? But um, my head tells me to take Toronto because they've been the better team all series. You can just tell, oh, my heart tells me Montreal is winning this game in a three, two overtime heartbreaking fashion Mitch Marner is coughing the puck right up the middle to someone going the other way. It's going to be like, who would be the most d- depressing guy to, to score the game winning goal to Harry. But yeah, maybe Corey Perry. Yeah. I was going to say like one other young guy, like Cole Caulfield or something like that too.
1: Caulfield but, would be heartbreaking. And we haven't touched on this, but it wasn't intentional, but like Corey Perry taking John Tavares out of the series. Again, wanna reiterate, not intentional, but and then turning around and putting the dagger in them would just be the worst.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I guess we, we didn't actually touch on that because we, we the, the north hadn't started yet. Yeah, no, that was a tough thing to watch. It's been so long ago too. Like we were trying to wait and to hope we can just do the second round thing, but uh yeah, um I but that's like just everything about this franchise and like I again, I, I don't know. I think that there is there's a, almost a slay the demon moment to, to tomorrow where it's like, if they come out and just dominate game seven front to back, they win, they get a four, one lead with 10 minutes left in the third and they keep it. And it's like, okay, here we go. Now the team's rolling, but this team doesn't seem to do that. And I don't, know. there's so many variations of this team because it's like, like I call that 2013 thing back. Morgan Riley's the only one who is, and he didn't play in 2013. He was just kind of drafted by the team. Like, I don't think there's a single person on that roster who played in game seven anymore, right? Like, yeah, but so. it's like, they'd still just do the same shit year after year. And it is so funny to me as a as a rivalry spectator, right? Like, it is so funny. But like, I think... Well, if like, they okay. Go ahead. Mitch,
1: Mitch Marner's quote about... um oh, I just didn't show up on time. We were, I was at Colby's we were talking about it and Ian laughed. He's like, that's a Mike Babcock quote. Like that, that's straight out of the Babcock
0: era. Like it just, the more things change, the more they stay the same in Toronto. Yep. And I've been, you know, i obviously me being the asshole I am, I've been ripping, you know, the Leafs fans in our group chat or whatever quite a bit. If they lose game seven tomorrow in some just destroying way, I don't think I can, I don't think I can be that mean to actually be like just chirping them about it. Like, not right away anyways like i would actually just not i don't know if feel bad is the right word i would feel bad for like the, the people i personally know who were like super invested in this team but at the same time it would be so funny as a sense fan just watching so many of those loud annoyingly fans that again i don't not talk about you or any of our friends or anything like that but just those random Real. random avatars on twitter that just just reply to everything saying shut the hell up leave some five or whatever oh seeing them be heartbroken would be awesome
1: yeah. And like, what do you do? Like if they lose, what the, what the hell does, what do you do? They get like Kyle Dubas. Oh, they have a bad defense core and the forward depth sometimes struggles. Well, now they're at least tied in a playoff series in which their two best players or three best players, one's hurt and two haven't really shown up. Their defense core looks good. They have like Jack Campbell's a higher save percentage than Carrie price. Like
0: what else do you do? You you run it, the, the correct answer is you run it back, but people yes. won't accept that answer in Toronto. The logical
1: thing to do is absolutely run, run it back. You learn from the past that you don't make the mistakes the Washington Capitals did, where they shit the bed for a while or whatever. But like, I don't think that will be an acceptable thing to a lot of people. And as a result, I think they're going to do something stupid.
0: Yeah, but there's only one person needs to be acceptable, too. Well, maybe two, I guess. And that's Brendan Shanahan slash, like, Larry Tannenbaum, right? Like, doesn't really matter. If the media carves you up all summer and you run it back and you're a 60-win team or a 50-win team or whatever, and then you have more success next year, you go, yeah, shut the hell up, right? But, like, and especially because, like, the thing with the media this year, too, is, like, Dubas did everything the media wanted him to do. He went and got that hard... Play stay at home defenseman TJ Brody. He went out and really revitalized his defense score. Got Zach Bogosian, who's been playing and playing pretty well, to be honest. He went and got that, that depth, the gritty depth in Wayne Simmons and stuff like that, and the veteran depth of Joe Thornton. It's like the media, like, and I know they will complain, but it's like, what can the media complain about? Because this team is exactly what they wanted. It's just unfortunate that John Tavares got a concussion in game one.
1: Yeah, exactly. And it's like,
0: Like, it's – this team defies logic. (laughs) Literally. Like, there's no reason that this game should have gone seven games. This series, sorry. Like, logically,
1: everything has been done right. Like, even on – like, the Leafs have a higher goals four percentage at five on five than, like, the Carolina Hurricanes, who won their series in six. Like – Yep. And Mm -hmm. it's not like the half-power play has been lights out. So, like, it's – like, the fact that we're here is just completely – it just defies all logic. I don't don't even know what to, what to call
0: it. Yeah. It's kind of incredible, honestly. Like, um, and you know, the other thing is I think like, you know, we've touched on this and we'll talk about it more in the summer, but like a Morgan Riley trade is if you need to quote, shake things up, Morgan Riley trade, I think is where you go. Um,
1: Yeah. I tweeted that today. you assume the number has to go, it's gotta be Riley, I would think.
0: Yeah. I like, just don't, I just don't see where you win a Marner trade that it makes enough sense to do it. Right. Like again, like the quote, the quotes from him of like, we came not ready to play. That is just the most unacceptable thing, especially because it's your year five and year three of you supposed to be doing something, including year two of you making almost $11 million.
1: Especially. Cause like I said, that quote is a Babcocking quote because we've heard him say that when Babcock was the coach, like you got the player's coach in there You got fucking $11 million. You're not stuck on the third line with JVR anymore. You're playing with Austin Matthews. Like what else do you need at this point?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So um, yeah. And and the other thing, the one other thing I was going to say is like if the media, I think the media is going to turn on Mitch Marner. And again, I just said that quote rightfully so for that. But um, the other thing is the media loved when Mitch Marner signed a $10.9 million. Like, Half the media was fully like, "Oh yeah, this guy is actually the best player on the team. He deserves to be paid as much as Austin Matthews." You can't turn around on that now and be like, "Oh no, no, Dubas was stupid for that." Like, if you said it was great at the time, you cannot turn around now and be like, "What on earth is this idiot doing?" You got to trade this guy. Like, that's just not how that works.
1: Yeah, and the problem will be logistically, like. I get why people want Marner gone. Like it's been so infuriating and they paid him so much goddamn money. And he was so public about it. And he's been a joke in the playoffs multiple times now, but like logistically, if you try to trade Marner this summer, you're going to get fucked. Like you're selling as it's the thing where like everybody knows the saying buy low, sell high, but like, every, and when you pull people, people think the best time to buy is when prices are at all times highs and people think the best times to sell is at all time lows like you're selling at an all-time low on
0: mitch marner yeah and just like like what team has enough money to take on 11 million dollars in cap hit anyways to the point where it's like if you do trade him you're gonna have to take a crappy contract back like you're not getting a good player on a good deal back from mitch marner
1: not right now you're not because if you're trading him this summer it's a panic trade and whoever's yeah. Other end of the phone with Kyle Dubas will know it's a panic trade. And so people are saying stuff like, oh, I don't think Buffalo gets a better trade offer for Eichel than Marner. And that is probably true, but you are not getting a player of that caliber back when everyone knows you're panicking.
0: yeah And here's the other thing. So again, the, the quote was stupid. Marner never should have said that. I didn't like that. I didn't show up to the play thing. He had a 55% Corsi 4 and a 70% expected goals last night at five on five. Like, It's not like this guy was just a bum on the ice. And again, like, again, like, that doesn't tell the whole story or anything like that. But, like, it just, to me, it was more just, like, I think, like, fans should be mad at his horrible, just, like, communication, which for a team like Toronto that is so locked up half the time in how they communicate stuff, it makes sense. And again, for, like, the the whole crowd that's, like, Marner sucks in the playoffs – He has a 54% percent Corsi 4 percentage and a 66% expected goals percentage during these playoffs already. He's just getting unlucky in shooting percentage and stuff like that. He's shooting 0%, and I don't like his on-ice shooting. The team's on-ice shooting percentage with him is probably close to, let me see, it is 4.48%. That's not going to stay that way, you know? Like, and again, like, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, like, luck can only take you so far or whatever, but at the same time, it's like, man, it's been six games and he's clearly like, he's had his chances. He just hasn't been able to bury it. And like at any other given time, if it's a six game streak, you go, Oh, it's going to come. But like, I don't know. Like, It's just one of those things where it, it would be such a panic move to move him, especially because I don't even think the narrative really fits what's happening.
1: Yeah. It's one of those really annoying things about, the way sports are constructed in the playoffs because it's like, well, it can't be bad luck two years in a row. The yes, last year played 11 playoff games. A dude getting unlucky for 11 games is absolutely fucking possible. <laughs> Sidney Cross had a season where his goals for our APM was negative. A season where it was below average because luck can last for like 82 games, hundred games. Look at Taylor Hall. It's like 120 games now never mind fucking 11 but like it's just come at the worst time and god is it terrible like just annoying as hell to watch
0: yeah absolutely um i think that's good we'll wrap it up there i was about an hour and 20 minutes um thank you everyone for listening uh, i hope you guys enjoyed this one as much as we did uh he did one, lots of swearing. I think I'm gonna actually have to add a uh, a warning to the start of the episode. I'll, I'll just put explicit in the in the title as well. But uh um no, this is for these, but god the leaves have put me in the mood. Yeah, so um no, this was a good one though. I, I had a lot of fun. Um uh second round should be entertaining. I Personally, I like, I don't know. I I, I tweeted this last night. I was like, on one hand, it would be so funny watching the Leafs blow a 3-1 series lead and bounce the first round again. On the other hand, I'd much rather want to watch Toronto move on to the second round so I can actually watch those series and have fun watching those series games or some fun because I find Toronto a pretty fun team to watch. I don't find Montreal versus Winnipeg an intriguing matchup at all.
1: Yeah. What are your thoughts, actually, as an outside observer? I saw a couple of people tweet this, and I really agree with them, actually. That the Leafs have series has been low key, pretty boring.
0: Yeah, it's sucked for one. I I think part of it is because it was it's so over it was so overhyped, right? Like it was like these two teams have been rivals for so many years, but haven't met in like what is it, eighty years or something like that. Like this is gonna be unreal. And then just a mix of just they've already played each other eight times, so they kind of already knew what to expect. Montreal plays a system where you want they want to slow you down so that you can't do anything, and there was no fans in the building. I I just think all those three things combined like just made it so it was never going to live up to the hype. And that's kind of why it feels like a not great series.
1: Yeah. The no fans really sucks for like getting the hype. And then the other thing is, like you said, the way Montreal plays is so boring that like, and I think there's a little bit of a misconception about the way the Leafs play, like the Leafs don't play 2016, 17, Matthew and Martin are our rookies. We're trying to blow the doors off you anymore. And to make a series with the Habs in it exciting, It either has to be really physical and intense, which there's been some after the whistle stuff, but this really hasn't been like that. Or you need to be playing a team that's trying to absolutely blow your doors off like the 16, 17 Leafs were, but that's not who they are anymore.
0: Yeah, and it's just like, it makes sense. And like, again, like I I just, I really think, like imagine how much cooler these games would have been with 20,000 lunatics screaming in every stadium, right? Like, um, and because we're seeing that in the States now. And so I I think that's a big reason why, where it's just like, it's just kind of hard to, you know and like I would also push back and I say that like the series has been good like the 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 past two games the Leafs have come back from multiple goals down to force overtime like that's an exciting thing you know parts of the series have definitely been boring though like the first period has been relatively boring generally speaking
1: yeah a hundred percent the Leafs are a weird team because like when they're down they can still blow your doors off like that 16-17 crank up the offense and like Third period comebacks are super exciting, but it's like zero zero on its way in is the problem or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. So um, like, boom, boom, boom. Holy shit, this is nuts playoff hockey, even though the first 40 minutes were kind of just like
0: well, Yeah, like, yeah, it's like there's 35 minutes where it's like this is not fun at all, and then the other twenty-five, it's like this is awesome, right? Like just chaos or whatever. And it just comes at spurts in the games, it feels like. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I thought it was good. I just It was, I think with the hype, it was always going to be hard to live up to, especially in an empty building. Yes, I completely agree. It's too bad. Absolutely. I, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I do hope that, you know, like I I don't see Montreal being a good enough team going forward, but I do hope that they can meet in the playoffs soon again to see this because the atmosphere would just be sweet. Yes, I completely agree. Um, Yeah. Thank you everyone for listening. Uh, We'll be back. I don't know probably around this time next week, we're going to try and get back to one a week. We just, we waited an extra, you know, four or five days this week because we were really hoping that, you know, the playoffs would wrap up uh, by Thursday. Really is when I was fingers crossed or like Friday that we could record Saturday, Friday or Saturday, but it just didn't happen. So it is what it is, but, um, Yeah, we'll be back in a week or so. Um, I hope everyone has a great week. As always, you can find my work at lastwordonhockey.com and bilehighhockey.com. I'll be having the Avalanche recap out for game one tonight. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at NHL Sends and Stuff and Chase on Twitter at CMHockey66. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll talk to you all next week.